You are listening to Paths, a program by LGBT Tech. Paths works to create visibility of LGBTQ plus STEAM professionals and their experiences in order to build space for future generations of community members to pursue their passions in STEAM. My name is Kristen Kelly. This episode of Paths is brought to you by LGBT Tech. Today, we are joined by Chintan Patel, who works as a digital development representative. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited to have you here, and we're so excited that you're participating in the PATHS program. Um, can we go ahead and start just by introducing yourself and just please include your pronouns and also your profession? Yes. Uh, thank you so much for having me in these interviews. I, uh, um, I love this kind of work. My name is Chintan Patel. I am a sales professional. Uh, uh, by title, I'm a digital sales professional, um, handle uh, IT clients. I deal with an IT company and then we solve IT solutions. My pronouns are he and him. I'm gay. Uh, uh, known this for quite a long time. It's a process, as everybody would understand uh, within the community, that it's self-acceptance comes first and then you kind of go with the flow and it takes a while for you to pinpoint one identity of yourself. So um, now come to a point where I, I'm confident where I identify myself as gay. Are there other parts of your identity that are important for you to recognize that you would like to talk about as well? Not particularly, not something that is pertaining towards my orientation. But other than my sales profession, I'm also a dancer. I would like to be called that. <laughs> uh, but it's not pertaining to the orientation. So we can talk about that at a later time. Yeah, absolutely. At what point did you kind of start understanding yourself as part of the LGBTQ plus community? Do you remember kind of when when you started recognizing yourself um, and your queerness? I mean, you would resonate or anybody in the LGBTQ plus community would resonate that we can't pinpoint an exact time or date when we knew that, okay, for sure, I'm gay now. Uh, uh, it was difficult. Yes, it was difficult. Number one, because I was growing up in a country where it was number one, uh, criminal offense, right? So you want to suppress these feelings because you think that they're just feelings. They're not necessarily what you want out of your life, right? Um, and to be very candid with you, I always thought that it's something, something that I desire sexually, Right. As most of the homosexual uh, heterosexuals would uh, misinterpret being queer is as it's just a sexual desire. Unfortunately, I was also one of them where I was like, oh, it's just a sexual desire. Maybe I can suppress it for the longest time. That was the struggle in my head until like, you know, you start going to school and then everybody around them start forming couples. And they're like, oh, my God, I have feelings for this girl. Oh, my God, I have feelings for this guy. And I was like, I don't think I have feelings for anybody. And then uh, growing up, you kind of miss that part, right? You, everybody's, everybody around you feeling the love, that feeling, that tingling feeling. And I was like, what is that tingling feeling that they're talking about? And then suddenly you realize that all those feelings that they're talking about, you feel for a boy, not for a girl. And that's when you realize, that's when it kind of made sense to me that it's no longer just a sexual feeling, even holding hands in public or just being vulnerable to somebody. I need a man to do that. And then, you know, that's when I figured out that, yes, okay, confirm, Chintan, you're gay. <laughs> um, and it wasn't, it wasn't an easy process. It wasn't something that I just did over the time. It's, I mean, it, it's not something that I did overnight. It took some time. I, I can't really tell. It was much before ninth grade, actually, that I figured that out. Uh, but I was still trying to suppress it, whether, you know, I don't know how the future is going to look like, because I didn't know we were going to come to the United States. I was always thinking that, you know, in India, it's not going to be possible. I can have a secret boyfriend, but I don't think that that can last very long. I don't see coming out. My, I don't see myself coming out. I actually didn't find strength to come out until much after when I moved here in 2015. So my coming out was very later, especially to my parents, my friends and few of my extended cousins knew about it, but then yeah, once I started coming out, it was easier. But then before that, it was still like a struggle. 
I would say, yeah, around around seventh, eighth grade is when I would figure it out. I would have figured it out that yes, okay, fine, I I am pretty confirmed queer. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. So, kind of switching gears a little bit, if you were to explain your profession to somebody who had never heard of it before, how would you describe it? You can talk a little bit about your day to day work and just generally what you do. Yeah. Um, work for a big IT company, right? So um, I'm in the sales unit of that of that company, uh, meaning we deal with other IT companies who are looking to solve their business problems. So basically just B2B sales, uh, where we are trying to solve their business problem using the technology that we provide. Um, uh, the job that I particularly do, the role that I have, uh, deals with top of the funnel, which means we deal with identifying the business problem and identifying what solution is needed for that problem and then moving on to more solution experts. So that's where, that's where I come into the picture most of the time. Could you just talk a little bit about how you uh, kind of ended up in the field that you're in today? Yeah. Um, so uh, education... Uh, sector in India is kind of different than how it is framed here in the United States, like where you have undergrad and you can figure out your minor and major, and then you can pinpoint where exactly where you want to go. In India, it happens much earlier. So as I mentioned, in ninth grade, we moved here as immigrants, but my dad didn't really find a niche place in his textile business. And he wanted to move back to India and he wanted his kids with him. So we came here for about a few months where I did summer school here. And then we moved back to India. We, We didn't move back, but we went back to India to explore one more year. Uh, 10th grade is when you decide after 10th grade, like 10th grade is a critical point in Indian education where you decide after that, whether you want to go towards the engineering side of uh, your career or you want to choose medical side of your uh, career. After 10th grade is when you decide and that depends heavily on your grades, right? So you might not get, uh, you might not get, you know, into certain schools if you are below certain grades or you might get into different sectors of that, uh, of that school. So I always thought I was going to become a doctor. <laughs> always, always thought that I was going to, I was going to choose that career path. Uh, but then uh, here comes the 10th grade and I'm in dilemma. I was like, okay, I was sure until now, but you know, now that I have great grades and I'm not that bad at math, maybe I want to do both. So I decided to pick both. There was an option to do both uh, uh, too. And then you can later on pick uh, one and you can drop one. So I decided to do both. Uh, most toughest time, most toughest six months of my life where you had to juggle between so many classes, so much homework, so much assignment. And I was like, okay, you know, I didn't need to pick one. Uh, And at that time I was tutoring kids and I see myself excelling at math. And I was like, okay, maybe this is really, really what something I'm passionate about. And until now I was believing I was going to be a doctor, but I'm really good at engineering stuff. So, okay, let's decide to take that career path as, you know, moving onwards. So I decided to uh, focus my time on math. I dropped biology and I dropped that career path uh, to move into more of an engineering side of the career. I did really well uh, in 10th, 11th grade and 12th grade. Um, I was happy that I was able to embrace math so much that I was able to tutor. Uh, growing up uh, in my college time, I was to tutor 10th, 11th, 12th grade kids. And I was like, this is something that I struggled to choose with, but now I'm really great at it. Um, and then I decided to to pursue my career in engineering. So that kind of was a self-discovery, uh, which went completely 180 when I was thinking I was going to become a doctor. But then I really found my passion towards math. And then, you know, that translated into engineering. And, you know, I did my master's here in telecommunications. And now I am in the field where I can translate these IT terminologies into business values and, you know, sales terminologies. So that kind of is my career path, how it navigated 
earlier you were talking a little bit about your identity as a dancer. Could you kind of talk how that talk a little bit about how that kind of weaves into your story as well and what role that plays in your life now? Yeah, that's the more interesting part <laughs> to me. Uh, it plays like I'll answer your last question first. How what role that plays in my life? I cannot see myself without dance at all. I think that has become a part of a big part of my identity. I still call myself a learner, where I'm still learning a lot of things. Uh, but um, Indian classical dance called Bharatanatyam is what I have practiced and learned from my gurus uh, back in India. I used to learn classical instrument. Uh, it's called tabla. It's basically drums. That's uh, was my first uh, interaction with anything classical arts regarding uh, performing arts. So I learned that for quite a long time. And then right across that, there was a dance class with a teacher. It was a completely different discipline. Uh, she was teaching uh, the girls and I was like always sneaking in those rooms. And I was like, well, they get to wear fancy bells, ankle bells. And, you, you know, they get to do their braid and they get to do a lot of fancy things. So I also want to do that. That was my first attraction towards the dance form. I used to read a lot of books. I used to read uh, about mythology. I used to connect these dots between Indian mythology, Greek mythology, and all the other mythologies out there. And I used to find similarities and you know how I can make my come up with my own theories so it was very exciting for me out of that one of those books was uh, Abhinaya Darpana uh, which gave which actually just is a basic book to introduce you to it's actually a it's actually a guideline to uh, the dance form that I am now practicing Bharatanatyam Abhinaya Darpana is derived from a higher uh, scripture called um, Natya Shastra so that book is a derived from another big scripture. And then I found out that, you know, uh, simple hand gestures can make you feel like a god. Because one of the things that I learned in, in this dance form is that, of course, it's it's meant for entertainment. But the deeper roots of this art form is spiritual upliftment, right? Just like uh, ballet, you condition your body and that transforms something into you. And when you're telling all these stories, you manifest these characters into yourself. And then you become those characters, right? And then you you take those qualities in. And then that's your life kind of changes after that. So I was fascinated that in Indian, uh, that dance form, just holding like two fingers, uh, two hands in different gestures can make you feel and look like a god. And I was like, oh, okay, that's very fancy. So <laughs> I decided to explore more into that. And then I started learning that these are all connected, like the mind, body, soul, everything is connected to each other. And it was very very much of an exploration for me. So I was like, let me start learning. I started reading online books. I started reading, uh, looking at online videos and getting my body to condition. And then I believe a year of that, I was like, you need, I need to be seen by somebody. Somebody needs to see if I'm, what I'm doing is correct or not. Because as I said, it's, it's not something you can learn over time. It's definitely not something you can learn online. Uh, you need a guru. You need a guide to be able to correct you, to be able to guide you in the proper direction. So I went to a teacher and I told her I have to start learning. I've learned so much and I want to show you. And then uh, I don't know if it's right or wrong, but you need to train me. And then she was gracious enough. She she took me under her guidance. And then, you know, I fast forwarded my training in 18 months and I finished my graduation of that dance. And then I don't think I've ever not danced after that day. <laughs> I've always danced. It's become a part of my identity now. Um, I became a part of a company uh, that was founded by my dance partner, both of us together present uh, productions here in the DFW area. We travel with our productions uh, nationally. And then we also have a school where we teach uh, kids the art form. And, you know, our mission is to uh, blend this art form with upcoming times and, you know, present productions that are relevant uh, uh, in the current time, regardless of, you know, where you come from. We want the audience to relate uh, appreciate and, you know, uh, kind of uh, take this art form to the next level. 
I'm curious to know if you feel that your kind of passion and experience and training in dance uh, informs or affects your work in the kind of IT sales world in any way, if you're able to like make any connections between those two kind of parts of your life and how you kind of combine those things, if, if... To answer, yes, I blend them all the time. Uh, there's a lot that I learn with my dance. Um, there's a lot of discipline. There's a lot of time management. Uh, there's a lot of coaching that I do uh, to my kids. There's a lot of learning that I do from coaching. There's a lot of care. And all of these resonates with any kind of leader uh, qualities that you would want to imbibe in yourself, right? You want to be a model. I want to be the best answer for my students so that they can look at me as a model, right? I want to care for them because I understand they're dealing with their bodies and it's not easy to move them in a certain way. You can't demand stuff from your body. You need to train the body to be able to demand that, right? So it's a work in progress. There's a lot of care that goes with it. And there's a lot of coaching, right? Because it's an age-old art form. It's about more than 2,000 years old that these these dances were documented and codified the way that we look at them today. So there's a lot of coaching that we need to do to these kids. And I apply all of these into my work, right? Uh, with my peers, uh, I, I definitely care for them. I coach them and I try to be a model for them so that, you know, my team can excel at the same time. And it's not just a personal growth, it's a team growth. Uh, time management, definitely, like, you know, when you are uh, in your classes and you have to manage a few different things time management comes in place really handy and I feel like in sales uh, you definitely need to be good at time management because you're dealing with customer budget you're dealing with your own pipeline generation you're dealing with your own uh, you know quarter and goals and if you're not timely about that then you know you might miss on certain opportunities that might be good so I definitely apply that and then one of the big thing about you know I'm not sure if uh, you or anybody would resonate with that unless you've been on stage right when you're on stage uh, it's a whole different ball game. You can't see anything in front of you except that huge blinking light that is hitting your face up. So other than that, you have to look at the markers, where you're supposed to be at, where your position is, right? Uh, you have to be listening to the music. If it changes, you need to change your, you need to, you need to follow the beats. Uh, in Indian classical repertoire that I follow, there are five or six instruments that we accompany along, along with the singer. And there is a master of the ceremony, which is our teacher who sits there. So we have to be vigilant about all these things, keeping in mind that, you know, all of this you have to do with a smile on your face. <laughs> so the difficult part is the smile on your face, right? You're, you're dealing with so many things. So I feel like that makes you a very alert person, right? You have to be looking at all of these things. And that is one of the quality that I, that is required in your, any of the STEM businesses, right? Uh, you have to be alert. You have to, uh, you know, work with your manager. You have to work with your peers. Sometimes you have to work with the stakeholders. If you're in the sales business, you have to deal with customers. Um, you know, if you're in the coding business, you have to be alert about your development team and operation team. There's there's a whole lot of things. And at the same time, you have to maintain a professionalism with all of that. You cannot be um, agitated. You cannot be anxious at all time. You have to maintain that professional aura around you. So I feel like the dance training that I've gotten, just the presence on stage has groomed me in a way where I can do this all at the same time, maintaining my own sanity, maintaining my own mental health balance and be able to navigate all of these things with the amount of attention that they need. So yeah, for sure, I would encourage anybody within the arts community to take up uh, STEAM professions because they go hand in hand. In my opinion, they definitely go hand in hand. You learn a lot from one, you can apply to another and you can learn from a lot from one and apply to another as i speak from learning from dance and applying it to it i can go on talking about learning from it and applying it to dance there's a lot that goes opposite as well 
based on your experience as a member of the LGBTQ plus community, what do you feel like that you can bring into your work that maybe somebody who isn't part of that community or part of a marginalized background wouldn't be able to to bring into that space? Personally, I feel uh, as a person of as as a, as, a, as a gay man, and you know, I'm talking about most of the people that I've interacted within our community. Uh, we are naturally away from the fact that this is for girls, this is for guys. We are naturally away from that bias, right? Is what I feel. Some people can say it differently, but uh, we are naturally. It doesn't. It's not a big important thing, right? If you go into some casual meetings, all they would talk about is like, "Yeah, I'm wearing a blue suit to the wedding," and then another girl's like, "I'm wearing a dressy, flowy stuff." And if you ask a person of LGBTQI, they're like, "Oh, I just want to pick a good outfit." right? We don't have that bias set in stone in our brain. And I feel like that perspective at this level, it sounds very small, but that translates into so many different levels, how a LGBTQIA plus person thinks. We do not have the set bias in a lot of different things that uh, a heterosexual man or a woman would have, right? Not to say that those are bad, but I'm just saying that they just don't have that perspective. Internally, they don't feel like that, right? They have a necessity to act and behave in a certain way when they're in a social setting. Um, and then, you know, they, if, they, if, they, if it's done opposite, they might feel embarrassed, right? Rather, a person of an LGBTQI plus community wouldn't care about that a lot, right? And when you stop caring about how you're being perceived, I feel like you do your work really well because you're open to a lot of million possibilities. You open gates, uh, if you don't, if you're not biased to a certain opinion, you open gates to a lot of things. For example, let's just talk about uh, user experience design. There is a there is a unit business unit in within Steam where it combines art and technology. It talks about user experience and designing part of that, right? If you're so constrained with the fact that certain designs will be perceived in a certain way, certain designs will be perceived in a certain way, you're not doing justice to the designing experience of the customer who's going to buy it. An LGBTQ plus uh, Q, uh, LGBT person would uh, uh, naturally not have that bias. You know, I'm, I'm saying that because I have I don't have that bias. So you're open to a lot of possibilities, right? You are going to make a design that is unique. You're going to make a design that probably has your perspective added to the fact that you have considered every single thing that is out there as a possibility for the customer to look at. So that's one of the things I feel like is is a perspective that a, a person of LGBTQIA plus member can add to the work that they're doing. And I personally feel I do that too. Do you feel like there are any barriers to entry into, into STEAM fields for LGBTQ plus and other marginalized communities? Um, and could you talk a little bit about that? I wouldn't necessarily say there are any barriers other than your personal bias, because um, uh, I can speak from experience. Had I not been exposed to these communities within college, I would have been scared personally. Yeah, I would have been scared uh, openly talking that I'm gay. Uh, it was the confidence that I was given, right? So I would say the barrier was a personal thing, right? I am the one who is uh, obstructing all of these opportunities for me. I'm not going to paint a great picture that, you know, both the companies, oh yeah, perfect allies, they're great. They're, there were employees that did not take it so well or might not write, ask the right question. At that point, it's about coaching, right? They can be a barrier. Their, their mentalities can be a barrier. I had a person who did not understand my dance at all. And uh, it was easy for him to uh, disrespect that by making a very vague comment. And I had dealt with that in front of customers where he made a vague comment. And then, you know, the customer had to step up for me that, hey, Chinchin, you were just saying that this is an age old art form and it's not nice for this person to disrespect that. So let me take you there and let's talk about that. Right. So it's a matter of coaching. It wasn't that that person was bad or meant to do that. It was just that he was unaware 
I would have easily not talked to that person ever in my life, but I think that would have been a barrier, right? That person would never know that this is not how you talk to somebody or this is not something that you take lightly. So it's a matter of coaching, right? If I had I not coached, uh, had that customer not helped me to coach this person, he would have done something similar to somebody else, right? Um, so that's what I would say as a barrier that, you know, just thinking that not talking about it or, you know, uh, what is it called? Tolerating that uh, is okay because, you know, you're a minority or you're marginalized. It's okay for them to speak like that. I don't think so. Everybody wants to be coached, at least people who are working for the STEAM or STEM uh, field. They go through certain, um, we call it business conduct guidelines, right? They have to follow a certain um, uh, etiquettes to be able to communicating with other employees, right? And in those, I'm glad both the companies, and I, I believe all the companies are doing that. They're doing an excellent job in incorporating diversity, incorporating inclusion, and incorporating the fact that basic things like you need to talk, you need to ask their pronouns before you assume, right? So and you need to make sure that you do, you pronounce them correctly, you address them correctly. These small things are now incorporated at a very training level. You go through these training every year, they're mandatory for you. If you don't do that, your business, your job can be at jeopardy. You need to take those trainings and you need to incorporate them in your day-to-day -day life. So I feel like companies have done a great job so the employees are very much coachable, I would say. So you need to approach them with the mentality that they hurt you, yes, but then please don't do this next time onwards because it hurt me. I don't think you know that, but it did. So it's a matter of coaching and, you know, that can remove all the barriers, personally, I feel. What advice would you give to your younger self and what advice would you give to LGBTQIA plus individuals who are interested in going into STEAM fields? A lot of advices to my younger self, <laughs> right? Uh, I would, uh, if I had to pinpoint what advice I need to uh, give to myself that resonates, I'll answer the question in, in a way that it resonates to both your questions, where it can be an advice for myself and at the same time, uh, younger LGBTQIA plus folks out there who are wanting to aspire a career in STEM or just wanting to aspire to navigate their life in a much comfortable format. I feel uh, once you once you have done that uh, once you've done that self accept once you're over that self acceptance phase, um, uh, I strongly encourage that you you talk about you talk about your identity to the people who matter to you the most. Of course, there is a fear, and I would say to my younger self, don't fear so much because uh, the people that are going to matter to you will will stay with you. Of course, there's going to be a rough patch, right? Everybody everybody's coming out story. I'm I mean. Some are blessed to have like a very smooth transition, but of course, majority of them have a little rough patch and then they come back to you, right? Because they understand the importance. I also, when I, when I came out, it wasn't an easy transition, number one, because my parents grew up in a country where it was a criminal offense. More than they caring about me, they were afraid if I'm going to be, if I'm going to be behind jail, if, if somebody finds out that I'm gay, right? So you have to understand their situation, but at the same time, you can't let the fear take over the fact that they love you so much. People who care about you, they love you. You have to get over the fear at some point and highlight the love that you have for them and they have for you. And that's the biggest advice I would give to my younger self, that focus on the love that they have for you and stop worrying about the fear that you have. Because fear is something that resides in the future. It's not right now. It's something that you're exaggerating That's that might or might not happen. Right. What is in your hand right now is to show your loved ones that this is an important part of my life. And because you love me so much, because I love you so much, it's important that I share this with you. Um, that's the mindset I, I, I followed when I came out to my parents and my close family. Uh, and of course, as I said, rough patch, 
but then it, it comes back. They they also have to work through their fears and then they also have to see that love is more important rather than the fears that I have. Not everybody's going to be on the same page. Some are going to take more time. Some are going to take less time. So that's the advice I would give to my younger self. And then the advice I would give to the people of the LGBTQIA plus community who aspire to be in the STEAM or STEM uh, uh, career path, it might look like it is overly populated with heterosexual community and you might feel like you're a minority there. But the difference that you're going to make with the knowledge that you have, with the uh, passion that you have for the work that you're you're applying for, you're going after, that's what's going to matter. Uh, it's not going to matter whether you're straight, you're gay, you're bi. I think the work and the difference that you're going to make is going to matter a lot. Like for right now, uh, when we do our when we do our year end reviews and see how an employee is doing, um, my manager does talk about the fact that what you have done outside of uh, work, like this this engagement that we have, might be one of the conversations that I do, and that's something that defines my character. What about my work? It has nothing to do with the fact that I'm gay. It has all to do with the fact what impact I've made to their business, what help I'm able to do to my manager and my leadership team. And then that should be your sole focus when you're going into aspiring your career within uh, STEAM or STEM, right? Um, I would worry less about my identity and I would worry more about what impact can I make in this business. And then you'll lead with that. Um, If your work is excellent and if they have a problem with you being gay, you can kick them and you can go to another company who will be more accepting of that because your work should be the highlight of what you're doing and not your identity. To learn more about the PATHS program and how to get involved, visit our website at www.lgbttech.org/paths.